from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network Studios in Des Moines. I'm Mark Magnuson, and welcome to Iowa Ag Matters. In today's show, Andy is joined by Iowa Soybean Association Environmental Leader Award winner Jim O'Connell and affiliated faculty at Iowa State University, Dr. Chris Hay. Riley will speak with Emily Rogers of Sound Ag about Source, and I will be joined by Dusty Odakovit, the Chief Veterinarian with the National Pork Board. It's time now to welcome our hosts, Dustin Huffman and Andy Peterson. And here we go, Mark, middle of the week and uh, starting to ramp up for Tomorrow's USDA report with um, the corn market look like it's ready to test uh, recent support and maybe break through a lot of talk about some numbers being adjusted, of course. And uh, so, Dustin, we'll uh, follow that closely for you tomorrow. Yeah, definitely going to be some interesting information come out. And, of course, you know, that that world supply and demand estimate, usually February not known for being a huge shaker, uh, especially after we come off January. But, again, any revisions we've been, you know, of course, we're watching what's happening weather-wise in Brazil as well and, and Argentina. And, you know, as, as we talk in the past, you know, it's just there's a lot of factors going into what's going to happen. And, of course, we are needing every advantage we can possibly get because of the fact that we have such a high supply and we are relatively expensive to some of our competitors right now. So we are going to need some some kind of help, any help we can get to be able to ones that uh, these countries are going to. And, of course, you know, it's not just uh, having the supply. It's also being able to get it to where it needs to go. I know we'll be talking about that a little later on with analysis from from Jim as well here from agmarket.net is there are so many challenges out there. In fact, speaking of Jim, uh, we have Mark Magnuson ready to go to talk about the grain trade with Jim McCormick, agmarket.net here on Iowa Ag Matters. Joined today by Jim McCormick of agmarket.net for our opening market discussion. Jim, what are we seeing taking place in the grains? Well, good morning, but unfortunately, we are seeing pressure across the, across the specter, plain and simple, corn, beans, wheat, you name it. The grain market is under pressure uh, as we uh, go out, come out of the overnight market before the day session. Better weather prospects for South America, getting rain. We do have the golden roll starting up here. And just technically, I think the market's just a little bit disappointing. There's a lot of traders thought, and I mean, the charts gave us on the corn market a double bottom here on January. And, uh, you know, we took out that double bottom low last night. So technically, it's just a very frustrating market as well as kind of a fundamentally negative market because we're in a way, Mark, we're, we're in a market in search of demand. The demand has been OK, but nothing to really get the you know, buyers to come in and say, I need to buy it. It's, it's value. Just we thought we'd seen it. But at this point, obviously making new lows. We're not there yet. So did something change in the South American weather forecast? Because it did seem like earlier this week it was going the other way where the market was moving in anticipation of maybe some bad weather for Argentina. Well, right now, I think some of the models are trying to bring the rain back in. Maybe we got some heat here. But over the next two weeks, the one forecast I saw this morning said they will be bringing rain back in. The other thing, Mark, is I think we do have a USDA crop report coming out on Thursday and domestically, we're not looking for really any big adjustments. Usually the government's very hesitant to make really big adjustments on the domestic side. The revisions tend to come on the world side of production. But as we get closer to it, I think the bulls are fearful that they're just not going to get the hard cut in Brazil that they want. Uh, you know, we got to get that yield in Brazil below 100, or that production, excuse me, below 150 million metric tons. The USDA has them, I believe, around 157. The odds are they're just not going to cut it below 150. The government likes to walk it down, not run it down per se. So maybe they're bracing for potentially just kind of a disappointing. Then some of the that bearishness, or excuse, you know, the bullishness of the Brazil crop being lowered, there is some talk that the Argentina crop, which has been overall pretty good, 
is what the aspect, a lot of the rhetoric has been, might even offset it a little bit. They may trick, you know, bump that up just a little bit. We'll have more from Jim McCormick, agmarket.net, come up later in the program. Right now, Andy Peterson getting us going with his three big Iowa ag matters for today. Number three. Expressing some concern about mycotoxins in corn that will be used for animal feed. Our friends at uh, Alltech, including Dr. Max Hawkins, releasing their 2023 harvest analysis report. And he says if you want to find them, simply follow the weather. You get into the western corn belt and some of the northern prairies, it was very dry. When we get into really dry weather, we tend to have fewer mycotoxins because we kind of take the fusariums out of the equation. But we still had aspergillus toxins. That could be a problem because aspergillus is what produces aflatoxin. And we did find it further north than we typically would. We found it into northern Iowa, into the Dakotas, and it was even maybe a little more severe than normal, even into the southern portions of the Canadian prairies. As that season progressed, the rains came in. The eastern corn belt began in July, and that kicked off the fusarium molds, the fusarium mycotoxins, and they're much more highly occurring as we get east of the Mississippi, get into the Ohio Valley, and then follow that upward through Michigan on into Pennsylvania, New York, and New England. Now he says mycotoxins carry several risks to animal performance and health and producers need to regularly test their feeds and ingredients number two applications open for century and heritage farm recognition at the iowa state fair the program created by the department of ag and the iowa farm bureau federation to honor families who have owned their farms for 100 years and 150 years respectively now, while the deadline isn't until June, Secretary Nag says that Century and Heritage Farm families represent, quote, the very best of our state and are remarkable examples of the ingenuity, strength, and resiliency of Iowa agriculture. Number one. Getting a little more active here in the next couple of weeks, the weather pattern. According to Good Iowa Ag Matters advocate Dennis Toddy, director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub on Iowa State's campus. There is a more active precipitation pattern likely into the middle of February, the first couple weeks. But then I think the outlooks were talking about that ending mid-late part of the month. There is a bit more active period coming, and then as the month goes on, probably should get a bit quieter again. Now he says that certainly could mean some more moisture is coming into the state of Iowa. I'm Andy Peterson. Those are your three big Iowa Ag Matters. You might think Iowa just grows corn, but the truth is corn grows Iowa. Hi, I'm Stu Swanson, a farmer from Galt, Iowa, and the first vice president of the Iowa Corn Growers Association. Whether you're planting, harvesting, or anywhere in between, as a member of the Iowa Corn Growers Association, you're also actively advocating for our industry. As an ICGA member, you have a voice lobbying on ag issues at the state and federal levels on priorities that impact your farm. Join us today at iowacorn.org slash join. Well, we're just getting the ball rolling here on today's edition of Iowa Ag Matters. And nitrogen is one of the things we focus on as we get ready going into the planting season. And of course, all of our nutrients are a big deal. And the folks at Sound Ag and their source product are going to help us deal with that a little bit. So Riley Smith's going to have that coming up here as well. And a little bit later on, we'll also talk about um, cost share that's available on edge of field practices as we ramp these things up, some batching builds that you can get involved in um, as uh, part of the latest Pods of Potential podcast. So look forward to hearing Dr. Chris Hayes' thoughts on that. All continuing here on your authentic, official, and trusted voice of Iowa agriculture. 
obviously making use of the minerals, elements, whatever we have in the soil, the nutrients we have in the soil is top of mind because if we can make proper use of those, of course, we don't need to add as much, especially when it comes to things like nitrogen. Emily Rogers with Sound Ag talking with Riley Smith about some of the new technology they're using to achieve that goal. A big thing for sound agriculture is source, having that, I believe it was called a caffeine for the soil a lot. Um, so just tell us a little bit about uh, source and some of the things that uh, producers could try out maybe for this new year, uh, new things that they want to have on their farm. Yep, so source itself is a soil activator that goes on foliar and then will wake up the microbes either allowing the farmer to use it as a reduction tool and decrease some synthetic inputs or to be a yield boost. So new for this year, uh, we actually have some new formulations with some new acre rates to go out, as well as um, a marrying of two active ingredients in our soybean and wheat products. So we've got some new options. Right, and that's such a big thing when it comes to uh, having these, you know, kind of things that you can use on your farm is using what's in your soil already and uh, that's a big thing for source right it's just activating what's in that uh, biome already and uh, like you said cutting down on those inputs yep for sure we definitely want to work with your existing crop care plan and what's already in your soil and that existing microbiome and your existing soil biology now you mentioned uh, new product lines coming out for uh, farmers to look at this year as well uh, just tell us about uh, some of those new things uh, new products that uh, everybody can uh, maybe give a shot for this year Yep, so our Source DC product is labeled for corn, cotton, wheat, I'm sorry, corn, cotton, hay alfalfas, and grasses. Um, before we had Source corn that was only, was limited. Now we've ex been able to expand that with a new carrier and a new uh, kind of iced tea colored product that's uh, no longer clay-based but water-based. And then we also have Source XC, which is a two-gallon twin pack that marries both of our active ingredients for beans and wheat. And you mentioned just kind of having that uh, opportunity to work with what farmers are already doing. And that's, uh, you know, kind of a big thing with Source specifically, but basically all the products that you guys offer is making sure that you're kind of adding to what the farmer does and not necessarily, you know, making them to uh, add a whole bunch of things, right? Correct. Yep. We are intended to be a ride along as well. So we're not adding a, a lot of room in the tank. We're not taking up a lot of space in the tank, but we're not adding a pass either. We're going to ride along with an existing pass you're already making. All right, Emily, is there anything else uh, when it comes to Sound Ag or Source or anything like that that our listeners should know about today? Yeah, absolutely visit our website at sound.ag. There's options on where to buy. There's a performance optimizer that will show the best fields to use it on and how, and then a performance analyzer that can show you some results in your territory. All right, Emily, thanks so much for taking the time to visit with us today. Thanks for your time, sir. Well, great stuff there with Emily Rogers of Sound Ag and looking forward to hearing more about that technology uh, in the near future. And of course, one of those groups that's going to really make use of that nitrogen is, of course, corn growers. Iowa corn grower president uh, Jolene Reeson talks right now with an industry update with Andy Peterson. There's a lot of conversation at Commodity Classic about the importance of carbon intensity scoring and increasing farmer participation. I have a Corn Growers Association, one of the leaders on the issue, according to President Jolene Reeson. So I had a study done here on my farm, and I'm actually a a negative carbon emitter and and I managed to get to that point by I no-till, I use cover crops, I have a custom feed yard that we feed cattle in and I utilize that manure as part of my, as part of my fertility program. The ground is is actually worked very little. Um, if we can no-till it, that's usually what we do. Always keeping in mind, you know, the soil erosion, carbon capture, we just try and do everything that we can to, number one, keep the soil 
on my farm. Number two, to keep the fertilizer on my farm. She says lowering ethanol's carbon intensity score will be key to unlocking the sustainable aviation fuel market. And you can learn more at iowacorn.org. Well, Andy, really appreciate getting that information from the Iowa corn growers. Looking forward to spending some time talking with those Iowa farmers, both corn and soybean producers, as we're going to be down at Commodity Classic later this month in Houston. And, of course, Iowa corn growers, uh, one of those great organizations, can be down there with policymaking, as is the soybean side of it as well, coming up in the end of the month. Yep, no doubt. And a lot of those discussions will be fascinating, I'm sure. We'll have great coverage for you from Commodity Classic here coming up. We have great coverage, of course, every day of the cash elevator prices. Basis information, which are constantly being adjusted. Dustin, take a look around the state for us here with those updated prices ahead of tomorrow's USDA report right after this on Iowa Ag Matters. Time to run down some of those elevator prices here on Iowa Ag Matters for this Wednesday, February the 7th. I'm Dustin Huffman. A few elevators are starting to see corn bids drop just a little more. Our neighbors to the south saw a few of those corn bids actually take a swan dive down there in Missouri. But let's see what's happening right now in Iowa. Starting at ADM Burlington, they're 12 cents under on corn at 422. Soybeans 13 cents under at 1171. Cargill and Eddyville, 3 cents under on corn today. Cash bid 431. New Co-op Algona, a dime under on corn, 424. Soybeans, 55 cents under with a cash bid, 1129. Ag State Sheldon, a dime un- over on corn, rather, at 444. Soybeans, 72 cents under at 1112. Ag State Elta, a dime under on corn, cash bid, 424. The soybeans, 62 cents under at 1122. At Cargill Cedar Rapids, they are even today at 434 for corn. They do want to let you know the dent facility is closed today to fix the dust collector. Their soybean bid is 15 cents under at 11.69. At Nexus Co-op Marble Rock, they're 8 cents under on corn, 426. Soybeans 52 cents under at 11.32. Lincoln Way Ethanol Nevada, 2 cents over on corn, cash bid 436. ADM Des Moines, 8 cents under on soybeans, their cash bid 11.76. New Co-op Red Oak, a dime under on corn, 424. Soybeans, 50 cents under at 1134. Mid-Iowa Cooperative Green Mountain, 22 cents under on corn, cash bid 412. Soybeans, 50 cents under, they're at 1134. At New Co-op Sheraton, they're 20 cents under on corn, cash bid is at 414. Soybeans are 55 cents under, cash bid 1129. At Walk-On Feed Ranch, they're 17 cents under on corn, 417. Soybeans, 61 cents under at 1123. New Co-op Glidden, a dime under on corn, cash bid 424, soybeans 50 cents under at 1134. Innovative Ag Services Farley, 13 cents under on corn, 421, soybeans 52 cents under, cash bid 1132. And Cargill Muscatine closed for the season, they'll reopen April 1st, the office is open for normal business. Cash corn and soybean bids are subject to change without notice, always check with your local elevator when making sales to obtain the most recent price. That's a check of your basis prices on Iowa Ag Matters. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. We've got more market information still to come, including a complete rundown of the midday numbers, the grain and livestock markets coming up on Iowa Ag Matters, so stay with us. 
Well, of course, part of the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network's great coverage is with the Pods of Potential podcast that we do with the Iowa Soybean Association. And let's go around. Andy's talking with Dr. Chris Hayes and Jim O'Connell about the practices they're using and, and what they're doing to maximize the most out of their soybean acres and around the state. A lot of help is now available for edge-of-field practices, saturated buffers, bioreactors, crep wetlands, and so on, on your farm. And that includes cost shares, certainly a lot different than it was just a few short years ago. We'll get more details now from the latest Pods of Potential podcast with our friends at the Iowa Soybean Association, Dr. Chris Hay, and uh, Lynn County farmer Jim O'Connell, who has one of each, actually, and as a longtime cover cropper joining the conversation. And uh, Chris, let's start, I guess, on that uh, design help and cost share opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, in general, with these these edge of field practices, we're trying to get uh, to 100% cost share where really it's not money out of your pocket. And so uh, um, in most cases, we can do that. Um, there's some new programs. And now one of the big pushes is, is what they call the batch and build, where they're doing a bunch of these in, in, within a, a small or watershed area. And so uh, in those locations, actually, uh, there's an incentive payment that they're offering just for, for access to the site to be able to survey it and put one of these in. So in that case you may actually get a check uh, for a little bit of money for putting one of these in too so so i think there's some real uh, opportunities that are increasing out there to, to be able to do this and be able to do it without uh, some of the hassle that maybe some of the earlier adopters had to deal with as we figured this these things out yeah, and that's certainly uh, music to my ears too for so long the the, the producer was uh, shouldered with the responsibility of utilizing and, and um uh, paying for practices th- through which they may have gotten a little benefit. I think we're obviously not only changing the benefits conversation, but uh, but also the uh, responsibility conversation as well. And Jim mentioned uh, the, the the monitoring project from Evan Bream, outstanding conservation agronomist at Lynn Co-op there in eastern Iowa. So let's put a plug in for him too, Chris. If we'd like to get signed up for that program, we can do that as well. Absolutely, yep. What do you say to neighbors, Jim, who may be on the fence about uh, getting started? Because I'm sure you find more and more of those as, as word about the uh, success that you and Dan and others are having continues to spread. Well, I'd like them, you know, if anybody wants to come out and take a look and see what, you know, how everything's going. We have a bioreactor in too, which I'm I'm fascinated by the saturated buffers and the bioreactor both. Um, I keep going down and checking everything and it's still the same. There's no water, so it's hard. I'm I'm ready to go down and start putting gates in and stuff to make it where, you know, and eventually I'll probably get tired of that. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I did have one neighbor, which I'm not going to say any names, but went by and said, why would you do that? And th- that right there tells me that, you know, we still have a lot of work to do. We got to get their mindset changed that, you know, there's a reason why we're doing this. And a lot of times if you just turn and look down and you see your kids or your grandkids, that's a big Big reason, I think. Yeah, no doubt about that. You can hear more in the latest Pods of Potential podcast with our friends at the Iowa Soybean Association on your favorite podcasting service or at iowaagnet.com. I'm Andy Peterson, and this is Iowa Ag Matters. Well, thanks for that information, Andy. Always looking forward to the Pods of Potential podcast we get every month. Uh, you're hosting with the Iowa Soybean Association. Always great stuff. But before we let you get out this go around, you still got three big Iowa Ag Matters to share with us. Number three. Expressing some concern about mycotoxins in corn that will be used for animal feed. Our friends at uh, Alltech, including Dr. Max Hawkins, releasing their 2023 Harvest Analysis Report 
Teddy says if you want to find them, simply follow the weather. You get into the western corn belt and some of the northern prairies, it was very dry. When we get into really dry weather, we tend to have fewer mycotoxins because we kind of take the fusariums out of the equation. But we still had aspergillus toxins. That could be a problem because aspergillus is what produces aflatoxin. And we did find it further north than we typically would. We found it into northern Iowa, into the Dakotas, and it was even maybe a little more severe than normal, even into the southern portions of the Canadian prairies. As that season progressed, the rains came in. The eastern corn belt began in July, and that kicked off the fusarium molds, the fusarium mycotoxins, and they're much more highly occurring as we get east of the Mississippi, get into the Ohio Valley, and then follow that upward through Michigan on into Pennsylvania, New York, and New England. Now he says mycotoxins carry several risks to animal performance and health, and producers need to regularly test their feeds and ingredients. Number two. Applications open for Century and Heritage Farm Recognition at the Iowa State Fair. The program created by the Department of Ag and the Iowa Farm Bureau Federation to honor families who have owned their farms for 100 years and 150 years, respectively. Now, while the deadline isn't until June, Secretary Nag says that Century and Heritage Farm families represent, quote, the very best of our state and are remarkable examples of the ingenuity, strength, and resiliency of Iowa agriculture. Number one getting a little more active here in the next couple of weeks, the weather pattern. According to Good Iowa Ag Matters advocate Dennis Toddy, director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub on Iowa State's campus. There is a more active precipitation pattern likely into the middle of February, the first couple weeks, but then I think the outlooks we're talking about that ending mid-late part of the month. There is a bit more active period coming, and then as the month goes on, probably should get a bit quieter again. Now he says that certainly could mean some more moisture is coming into the state of Iowa. I'm Andy Peterson. Those are your three big Iowa Ag Matters. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. Yeah, we are at a point here, Dustin, as um, Jim and, and Dr. Hay were talking about there. And of course, Jim's been, you know, involved in uh, on the cutting edge cover crops and, and uh, all of that stuff since 2012. And it did the, the wetland, took him four years. Some of that delay, of course, was through COVID, but uh, saturated buffer and, and uh, bioreactor. But uh, it, it's gotten now, as they were pointing out, to where it doesn't take years and you don't have to do the make all of the arrangements yourself. There's great help available from a design perspective and also from a cost share perspective. And I think Chris said it, 100% cost share in a lot of cases for these things. All you have to do is provide a spot, which is a lot of progress. Yeah, definitely is. And, you know, sometimes cost was uh, the big, uh, I wouldn't say impediment, but maybe fear. Uh, you know, that some people had is what's this going to cost me? What's this going to mean down the line? Is it going to pay for itself? And we're seeing that happen, you know, with the carbon markets and obviously with the, the work that's being done to help get these uh, these these uh, these uses in place. And so interesting stuff as always. Well, we're going to have a look at the markets. That's coming up next here on Iowa Ag Matters. 
This is the Midday Market Update on Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Mark Magnuson. Corn is trading lower today, but has come off of its earlier morning lows significantly. March corn made a new low this morning at 432 and three quarters. Tomorrow, the USDA will release its WASDE report, and that is expected to lower Brazilian corn production by 3 million metric tons to 124.3 million metric tons. And Argentinian production is expected to be unchanged. Brazil is now over 20% planted with their safrina corn crop, which is about to double their pace from last year. Rainy conditions have been favorable. Argentina's weather has been hot and dry recently, which may put a dent in their overall corn production, but rains are forecast to begin in the country later this week. Soybeans trading lower today along with corn, but have also come significantly off of their earlier morning lows, which saw the March contract take out Monday's low. Soybean meal is trading lower again today, while soybean oil is higher. Crush margins have narrowed, but remain profitable and have generated good domestic demand. For tomorrow's WASDE report, analysts are expecting Brazilian production to be lowered from the previous guess of 157 million metric tons to 153. Most analysts expect the true number to be between 145 and 150 million metric tons. That's the latest on the grains. Here's Andy Peterson with more livestock news. Yep, livestock number time here on Iowa Ag Matters. Beef-wise is where we begin daily estimated slaughter totals. Coming in at 125,000 head, that's 2,000 less than a week ago. Same as a year ago, boxes are stronger here at midday. 63 loads of choice cuts selling two ninety four oh seven fifty nine cents stronger. Select up 83, 284, on 22 loads of movement, and that spread remains under $10 at 947. Now, as far as hogs go, daily estimated slaughter total numbers coming in at 492,000 head, same as a week ago, and uh, 18,000 higher than a year ago. Cash market-wise, let's wrap up yesterday's numbers here. For comparison purposes, barrels and gilts producers sold on a carcass basis negotiated purchase-wise. We saw a fairly decent run at 3,800 head. The weighted average price sharply higher, up 458, 65.45. What a run in the negotiated purchase market here the past few days. Formula purchases 154,000 head, so about an average number of sales. Weighted average price 73.19. So that market was essentially flat. Now, as far as what's happening here at midday today. Only 1,790 head of negotiated purchases and no price available due to packer confidentiality issues. And 102,000 head of formula purchases market up 50 cents to 73.74. In February, we celebrate World Radio Day. Here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, we feature Iowa-centric programming with content focused on Iowa crop farmers and livestock producers who draw their livelihood from modern production agriculture. Today, the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network offers nine programs per day, anywhere from two and a half to four minutes. In addition, the network airs a daily midday program featuring Iowa ag news and discussions called Iowa Ag Matters. We thank you for supporting the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network as we celebrate World Radio Day in February. At midday, March corn is down four and a half at four thirty-four and a quarter. March soybeans down thirteen and a quarter at eleven eighty-six and a quarter. March soybean meal down six dollars and forty cents at three fifty-two forty. March soybean oil up twenty-five cents at forty-six nineteen. On the Merck, February live cattle down sixty-five cents at one eighty-two thirty-five. March feeder cattle down thirty-five cents at two forty-six thirty-two. April lean hogs up eighty-seven cents at eighty-two twelve. April pork cutout down a dollar ten at eighty nine forty, and class three milk down a penny at sixteen twenty five. This has been a check of the midday markets on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network.
Well, more market analysis right now with Jim McCormick, agmarket.net, as we look at what's happening for those cattle and hog markets. Here's Mark Magnuson with more. On the other side of the ag marketplace, what's happening with the livestock where cattle had a big day yesterday? Yeah, uh, you know, as bearish and gloom and doom and gloom as the beans have been, the cattle market have been the star of the market right now. They've been in a nice uptrend since December. Uh, they took out the 100-day moving average a couple days ago, then they went back and tested it, held it, and they blew through the 200-day yesterday on these April cattle. I think their next target is now to go fill that gap at 190.27. And I will honestly, Mark, I think there's a shot you'll see print a 200 on these April cattle. I have 199.82, whereas everyone remember thought we'd see that 200 print. We didn't get it. We might just get it this second go around. The reality is the supply of cattle is still very tight. And on top of it, though, we've got a very good demand structure for the most part. The consumer at this point has not pulled back his spending. The jobs number on Friday showed that the economy is still rolling around, rolling along strong. Excuse me. So you look at the combination of tight beef supplies combined with a strong economy going into springtime. And it, as we were talking off air, it feels like it's going to be an early spring. You know, the groundhog here in Chicago area, the groundhog out east said, hey, it is going to be an early spring. And right now here in Chicago, it's actually going to be, a, feels like a spring day here in February. And I think that just brings the grills out earlier than normal. And hopefully that'll just keep, keep driving this cattle market higher. And Jim, as that relates to cattle as well, how has this weather, this more mild weather pattern that we've been receiving in the Midwest, has that spread to all areas of the country? And have we been able to fill out some of that pasture ground a little bit more with some grass after we've had such dry periods of drought and long stretches that have affected the cattle herd so much? We have. I don't think we've completely healed up, but there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you look at where a lot of those storms have swung, they swing low south. They go through the Texas, Tennessee, into the southern basin. And that is bringing moisture into that. So, no, I think in general, you have to argue we are healing up. I think the bullseye of the drought right now, unfortunately, is in your neck of the woods in Iowa. But if you put a drought map on top of one left to right of where we were a year ago, you there, you can't deny it. We are healing up. We are building back soil moisture in a lot of locations. And uh, we'll see how the spring proceeds. But right now, I would argue at least a good chunk of the country is looking very good. Like I said, Iowa is probably the one area we need to keep an eye on. Iowa is still very short, that subsoil moisture. And you're dead on with that, Jim. We're feeling a little picked on here in the state, especially northeast Iowa, where it is very, very dry still. Let's talk one more point here, Jim. What's taking place with the hog market? Hog market, I think it had a pretty good run. It's correcting back a little bit. It took out to 200-day yesterday on April. That put a little bit of pressure on the market. A little bit leery, of, you know, a little bit disappointing of demand. Uh, you know, I think there are some traders that are hoping to see China come in and buy some pork in front of their Lunar New Year. I don't believe they've been there into the market like people had hoped. So maybe a little bit of a correction and maybe also mark a little bit of buy cattle type of trade. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. Well, we get a needed update on the situation with African swine fever coming up with Dusty Odekoven. He's the chief veterinarian with the National Pork Board. Mark Magnuson has that coming up next here on Iowa Ag Matters.
as always, great information available at Iowa Pork Congress, including an update on uh, African swine fever preparation for animal disease, which remains the biggest threat to, to the pork industry. Mark Magnuson catching up with National Pork Board Chief Veterinarian Dusty Odekoven. Mark Magnuson with the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and I'm joined today by Dusty Odekoven with the National Pork Board. Dusty, remind me, please, your job title within the National Pork Board. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, I serve as the Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Board. So you're obviously well dialed into all of the diseases that are very prevalent right now throughout the world affecting the swine industry, and you just came back from a big conference. Could you tell us about it, please? Yeah, in uh, December, I attended a ASF, uh, excuse me, I think a global consortium on ASF, and it was hosted by uh, the Food and Ag Organization of the United Nations, as well as the uh, World Organization for Animal Health, formerly known as OIE. And that conference then was kind of to bring everyone together just worldwide to see what everyone's learned and it, strategies they've implemented. Is that kind of the overall case? Yeah, that's right. So um, as, as the name implies, a global consortium brought together experts from industry and government from around, from really around the world. Uh, you know, there, there are active cases in over 50 countries right now. And so uh, we've really seen ASF spread um, since 2007, but at an accelerated rate since 2018. And uh, many countries throughout Europe, Asia, Africa, and of course, uh, more recently here in the Americas in the Dominican Republic and Haiti. So the idea was to bring together everyone and uh, talk about, you know, what what's the latest in epidemiology? What are we learning? Um, uh, what's the latest in diagnostics and surveillance? Uh, how, how are countries uh, who have an issue with ASF in their wild boar population dealing with that aspect of it? Um, what were the success stories and where are the, uh, wh- where are we seeing uh, really just no progress in, in controlling the disease? And then, you know, a- another um, uh, highlight was the discussion on vaccine development, and that was uh, interesting as well. And it does seem like we have a story that will trickle out every couple of months about a vaccine. And could you tell us right now where we are on the timeline for the vaccine potentially as, as we do keep getting that exciting information that it is headed our way? Yeah, well, I would say um, around the world there are there have been many attempts to um, uh, create a vaccine. And, and some of the discussion at this, uh, at this global consortium was around, you know, maybe a call for um, uh, you know, reducing the amount of, of live vaccine that's being used in some of these countries, where uh, those you know the, the use of those vaccines are resulting in uh, new strains of the virus that are uh, then difficult to detect and then actually um, serve to further spread the spread the disease rather than to halt it. So, uh, I would say the U.S. is is leading the effort in vaccine development. Uh, our scientists at uh, Plum Island Animal Disease Center, uh, both within uh, USD. Uh, Ag Research Service and, and partners that they work with uh, have have created some novel vaccines, and then and the technology there is is on par with other vaccine uh, um, uh, innovations that have occurred here recently. Um, some of those vaccine technologies have been licensed to other countries, such as in Vietnam, where there are ongoing trials to uh, demonstrate the safety, efficacy, and use of that, and so. Uh, we're still waiting for additional information to come back and, and really inform uh, the science on that and, and show that it's safe and can be used effectively. Uh, beyond that, um, the, the timeline as for when we might have an approved vaccine here in the U.S. is still a little unclear. Dusty Odokoven with the National Pork Board, our guest here today. Dusty, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it as always. Very interesting conversation. Have a great rest of the show. Yeah, thank you, Mark. I appreciate it.
In February, we celebrate World Radio Day. Here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, we feature Iowa-centric programming with content focused on Iowa crop farmers and livestock producers who draw their livelihood from modern production agriculture. Today, the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network offers nine programs per day, anywhere from two and a half to four minutes. In addition, the network airs a daily midday program featuring Iowa ag news and discussions called Iowa Ag Matters. And we also host a long-format weekend radio program called Weekend Ag Matters. The network's content footprint also includes a growing digital presence, including our daily e-newsletter called Ag Matters Daily, our website, which features our daily news stories at iowaagnet.com, along with a daily YouTube ag news program called Ag Matters PM. We are also active on Facebook, X, LinkedIn, and TikTok, and provide free daily market podcasts twice per day. We thank you for supporting the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network as we celebrate World Radio Day in February. And just like that, we are out of time on Iowa Ag Matters today, but certainly we will have coverage of USDA's World Agricultural Supply and Demand Report out tomorrow. There's certainly some chatter starting to to develop, Dustin, about needing to uh, cut the size of the South American crop as um, more and more private analysts continue to lower those numbers. Yeah, we you know, and that's uh, that is an interesting situation to see how USDA is going to react to that. Of course, you know, we know that they haven't always been, you know, they've sometimes made us scratch our heads a little bit and wonder where their estimates are coming from. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out as, of course, we always know that the, the crop isn't counted until it's in the bin. But, well, Andy, thanks, of course, for being here. Mark, for doing the uh, intro. And Riley, thanks for all the production work. And thanks to all of you out there listening. We'll see you tomorrow on Iowa Ag Matters.